You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning. You can be seated. I'm glad you're here this morning, and uh, I'm glad to open up God's Word with you. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Um, I hope you do have your Bible. Um, If this is your first time, what we'll do is we're going to walk through the text and really understand what's inside of it, okay? What's here? Um, We have a a pretty big... um, uh, a job here today, okay? As we always do, but I mean, today is 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 pretty uh, big, okay? We gotta we have to mine deep for some truths that we're going to understand. Now, before we dive in, just very briefly, I just want you to recognize maybe where you're at currently spiritually, and um, the reason of you coming here today, or or why you here, or why you decided to come, but also more so than anything, just measuring your heart. Um, in regards to his place of need for God or desperation for God. Um, I think um, it's, it's so crazy to me how sometimes God's word um, will, be, uh, will be so um, so important and so impactful for certain people who are um, in a place of desperation. They need God. They are aware of their sin. They need Christ. And yet that very same word from, his, uh, from the scriptures can um, uh, do absolutely no work in somebody else's heart in mind, um, hearing the same thing. It always is amazing to me. Um, and a lot of that has to do with where your heart is at in regards to your awareness of your sin and your need for God. And so I'm praying that today, as we teach this, as, as I teach this, as we look at this together, that you would um, be in a place that needs God, that's aware of your sin and, and Christ's righteousness and your need for, his, uh, for him in your life, and that you would um, desire for his word to come and to do its work inside of you, okay? So um, let's just pray to that end. Let's just pray that we would be humbled, that our hearts would be open, that our hearts would be soft, um, that we would see ourselves in our great need for God, and therefore his word would have great power as we listen to it, okay? So let's, let's just pray and ask God to soften our hearts and make our minds and our hearts ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we get to spend together. God, I pray that um, the people in this room today, including myself, that we would be in a place in our hearts and in our minds that would need you. We would see our own sinfulness, our own um, desperation, our own um, weakness and inability, and yet we would see you in all of your righteousness and um, who you are as God and And Lord, that we'd be open to your word, that we'd desire to see it and to understand it and to pay attention to it and to be changed by it, all for your glory. God, I know that it's hard sometimes to desire that, but I I pray that you would give us the desire. Holy Spirit, that you would stir the soil of of our hearts, that the seed of this word would be um, planted and take root and we'd be changed. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. All right, you guys ready? Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Ready or not, um, it's coming. And I will tell you that today is powerful. Here's what Jesus' uh, purpose is in what we're doing today, okay? Jesus is going to show us, ready, his power over sin, over Satan, over death, for our salvation and for the transformation of our lives, okay? Once again, Jesus is going to show us his power over sin, over Satan, over death, over salvation, to accomplish salvation and to transform our lives. Now, when you're reading that, you're going to say, we're reading about the story of Jesus calming the storm. What are you talking about? You're in the wrong passage, Sam, right? And uh, I know, but we're going to get there and we're going to see that this ultimate purpose of this story, the reason why Luke wrote it, the reason why Jesus um, was part of this, the reason why this story exists is to show his power over sin, over Satan, over death, over salvation, and to transform our lives. We're not going to get there until the end, so you got to hang tight with me until we get there, but we're going to see this. So let's read Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day, <coughs> he got into the boat, a boat, with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and water and they obey him? I want you guys to look on the screen because we're going to just very briefly also look at this passage in the NASB because it just gives us even more insight and understanding into some of the particulars of this. Same story. We're just going to read it twice. I get to call the shots while I'm up here. Once, I'm, once I get down, then I don't call the shots anymore. But um, while we read this, I want you to notice just the details of the story because we're going to talk through it and it's got a lot of details in it. Ready? Now it came about, same story, NASB, one, on one of those days that he and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake and they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. And they came to him and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? This is an incredible passage, all too familiar to us because sometimes we miss the main point. Jesus is about to show us his great power over sin, over Satan, over death, for salvation and for the transformation of our lives. So let's walk through this. Three sections in this. We're going to see three points and along the way, learn a lot of truth and get to the main point at the end. The first thing that we see as we talk through this passage 
is the first scene, really. Jesus is still as he sleeps. It's kind of the first part of this story, the first part of this section, that Jesus, he is still as he sleeps, right? Jesus is being still. He is still in the midst of what is to come as he sleeps. Now stay with me because we're gonna look at a lot of details. Verse 22, it says one day. You guys see that? It says one day if you look at your Bible. Now to put this story together for you, we have to give a little bit of the background. Luke is not being specific on the day. He just says one day right? So with the Gospels, as I explained to you, sometimes the chronological order is broken up, okay? The reason why it's done that way is sometimes Luke or the Holy Spirit will fit various elements from the teaching or the life of Jesus on either direction into a particular place that fits the theme as the Holy Spirit decides, right? And so this is true of the other Gospels as well. The writer is not bound by chronology. He's bound by the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit decides it's best to take this teaching and insert it over here, then it is better for us to understand it. Now, as a whole, the chronology is is in order, but sometimes the Holy Spirit will take it in order to show us or help us understand a particular point. Now, the reason why I say this is because the possibility of verses 19 through 21, which was last week, remember Jesus and his mother and his brothers, and he's saying, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Only those who do the will of God. Well, the reason that we're understanding this or even talking about it is because there's a potential that that's from a different time chronologically that we see in Mark and Matthew. And therefore, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Luke, now is taking that truth and putting it after the parable of the sower in order to help us understand that the ones who follow God are the ones who obey God, who who will follow his teaching and obey what he says. And so the reason why we understand it that way is because if this was not inserted, then Luke would probably say at verse 22 on the same day, we're answering the question, why is Luke not saying at verse 8, chapter 8, verse 22, on the same day? The reason why I ask that question is because when we get to Mark, let's get to Mark, and I want you to see this. When Mark speaks in Mark chapter 4 of the parable of the sower, and then that same day, the, the, the scene that we're seeing now, which is Jesus calming the storm, here's what he says about Jesus calming the storm. He says, on that day. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so what we know, listen, the reason why I'm telling you this, although a lot, listen, is because what we see from Luke is that he is probably inserting one day because verses 19 through 21 came from a different place. And now he's bringing us back to the same day as the parable of the soils. We know it's the same day because Mark tells us it's the same day. Now you say, well, why is that important? Well, we're gonna see in a minute that the reason why Jesus was sleeping was because he was teaching all day. And if you don't know why he's sleeping, then there's other things that we won't understand. So we have to ask the question, which day is this? Now, is he being intentionally vague? Yes, but we also understand that he's intentionally bringing us back 
to the same day as the parable of the soils. The reason why Luke is not saying the same day is probably because verses 19 through 21 are inserted, but we also know it is the same day. The same day is what? As the parable of the soils, right? That's the same day. Now also, let me tell you one other thing, okay? You're like, man, technical, but listen, this is really, really important. The reason why he's also saying one day instead of saying the same day, in addition to verses 19 through 21 being different and him bringing us back, is also because Luke is starting a new theme here. Listen, as you read the scriptures, there is narrative, there are things happening across the scriptures, but there are also themes that the writer is intentionally putting forth. And there is a theme from now until the end of chapter eight, until we reach chapter nine, which helps us to understand the very reason that this story exists, okay? So we have to understand these things. So there is a theme from now until the end of chapter eight that is, that is the same. And this is the reason why Luke is saying one day, because he's starting a new theme. We just got done with four weeks of the parable of the soils. That was all one theme. And now he's saying one day almost to restart us, to give us a new fresh start into a new theme. Let me show you what that theme is. It's Jesus's power, his omnipotent power, right? Over a few things. First, verse 25, look at it. It's in your, it's in your uh, chapter. It's over nature, right? Oh, in our section, he said to them, verse 25, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who is this? That he commands even the winds and the waters and they obey him. Jesus is power over nature. Follow with me. Verse 37, keep going in chapter eight. Ready? Verse 37. Then all of the peoples of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. Why? Because he just healed a demon. So now we see they're afraid because he has power over nature. We're seeing verse 37, they're afraid because he has power over demons. Let's keep going. The next one we're gonna see is power over disease. Verse 47, follow along in the same way. Verse 47, and when the women saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So they're afraid because of his power over nature. They're afraid because of his power over demons. They're afraid because of now his power over disease. And one more, verse 56, ready? And her parents were amazed. Literally, it means that they were out of their mind. But charged them to tell no one what had happened, what had just happened. Well, he just raised someone from the dead. So let me tell you this. Luke, when he says one day, it's very important that we understand why he's saying it. He's saying it to bring us back because 19 through 21 was maybe inserted from a different place and he's bringing us back to the same day of the parable of the soils while at the same time, He's also starting a new theme. He's giving us, say, like a palate cleanser, a fresh start. There is a new theme. What's the theme? Well, the, now to the end of the chapter, we're seeing Jesus' power, that no human being could do the things that Jesus has just done. He has power, and the only one who's capable of doing these things is God. And as we see this power, we also see that sinful people are then exposed and afraid. When they're in the presence of God, when they're in the presence of God. This is what happens when sinful man is in the presence of God. They're exposed. They're intimidated because of the awareness of their own sinfulness. And all these people respond the same when they're in the presence of God. 
because of what they see from him. You guys remember from Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah sees the Lord, what's his first response? Woe is me, I am unclean, right? Because my eyes have seen the Lord, right? It's the same thing that happens in Luke's account in chapter five, when Peter sees Jesus catch all the fish, remember this? And then he says, Lord, get away from me because I'm in the presence of God. And so here's what we're seeing. This theme is being made clear to us, okay? This theme is being made clear. Jesus is bringing us back. Luke is bringing us back. The Holy Spirit is bringing us back to the same day as the parables. And also at the same time, we're beginning a new theme. The theme is the omnipotence of the divine son of God himself, who's got power over all things. And in light of that, man is undone. And so this is the theme of the passage. Now, as we look at it one day, ready? By the way, those are from two words. Now, you might understand bits and pieces of what I'm explaining to you. And over the course of time, my hope is that you would understand more. But here's my encouragement to you. When you read your Bible, follow the trail of questions that you're asking about one, two, three, four words, right? Or sentences in the text. As you follow that trail, it's gonna lead you into other places in the Bible that will make this more clear. And that's called biblical theology. It's showing you how everything is fitting together through the whole text of scripture. And so we see this one day that tells us a lot, right? Now, as we look at this one day, now I want you to see this. We're starting this new theme. And what happens is that, Jesus gets into the boat. Now picture this, okay? Picture this. Jesus, the son of God. Picture him with his sandals on and, uh, and he's got all these guys around him and he's getting into this boat. We know that he's about to show us his power over sin, over Satan, over death, over for salvation and over our transformation. We also know that the theme here is that's being displayed by his power, which we're gonna see throughout the rest of the chapter. And right now, to set it up, Jesus is simply getting in a boat. And we know why. We know why he's getting in a boat. Undoubtedly, it's because of the crowds, okay? Jesus had tens of thousands of people around him at all times. Tens of thousands. And he wants to show us, he wants to show us his omnipotence, to show that he is the divine son of God, that he has power over sin, over Satan, over death, for salvation and over our transformation. And in order to do this, he's gonna get into a boat. It doesn't look like much, but this is setting up what he is about to do. And so we know that he is getting in this boat. We also know, again, it's the same day. Why? Because Mark tells us. It says it's the same day as the parable of the sower. So inevitably, this is what's happening. Ready? He's in the house. He goes down to the water. He begins to teach people. They're pushing him back to the lake. He gets in the boat. You guys remember this? Yes? He gets in the boat. He sits down. He starts teaching people from the lake, right? He gets out off the boat. He goes into the house. Then it's evening, and now he's coming out again. And what he does is he tells his disciples, hey, let's get into the boat and let's go across the lake, again, to get away from the crowds, to talk to his disciples. And we know this because it says in Mark's account, leaving the crowd. He was leaving the crowd, and he took them in a boat just as he was. And so Jesus is leaving this crowd, crowds around him all the time, same day as the parable of the soils. He's been teaching all day. In our text from, chat, from verse four, all the way until now, he's been teaching. 
all of these people. And he gets into the boat to leave the crowds, to get away with his disciples. He's tired, same day. Now listen, as he's getting into this boat, the water that they're going on is called the Sea of Galilee. You guys heard of it? Yes? Okay. Sea of Galilee. Now this surface of the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater place in the entire world. Side note, if you guys don't know, um, it's interesting that the Dead Sea, um, you guys heard of the Dead Sea? It is the lowest place on the earth. And I always thought, it was interesting that where God's people reside, it is the lowest place on the, on the earth. God's people should be the lowest people of all, right? We should be the lowliest of all people, and they are. And Jesus did a lot of his ministry in a place in which was the lowest place on the face of the earth. It's the Dead Sea, it's the lowest place, but here we're talking about the Sea of Galilee. We know this because New Orleans is pretty below sea, pretty, <laughs> pretty low below sea level as well, right? But we are not that low. Now listen, the reason why I tell you this is because it's subject to sudden storms. So it's almost 700 feet below sea level. It's adjacent to a mountainous region called Mar Hermon. And what happens is this cold air from the heights of the mountains, it sweeps through the gorges and it, from the northwest to the east and the seas um, in a short, very short time through the ravines and this air accelerates quickly. If you know or are familiar with anyone who knows about the Sea of Galilee, it doesn't take a long time for you to find out this information about the Sea of Galilee. It's like between buildings. You know, like when you walk in a city and the wind is just gusting uncontrollably? Well, it's because it's going between all this air is pushed in between short amount of spaces and it accelerates quick. And so that's what's happening in this place near the Sea of Galilee coming down from the mountainous regions. And what we know is that from in the cold months especially, this sea, which is not very big, can go from calm to an incredible storm very quickly. This is an incredible sea. It's got a lot of, it's really a lake. It's got a lot of um, unique uh, properties to it. Pure drinking water coming down from the snow caps, brooks, uh, springs that feed it. It's about 150 feet deep. But from noon to about six, um, the storm could arise at any moment. Within 10 minutes, the storm is upon you. Outside of that, it's unassumingly calm. But it's this, this sea, this lake, it's 13 miles by eight miles. Um, what Jesus is about to do is not travel the entire uh, lake, but he's in, uh, about to travel about six miles from a peak to another peak. Um, around this lake, a lot of Old Testament battles had happened. And so he's going down now. He's getting in one of these boats. And one of these boats obviously belongs to one of his disciples. Many of them were what? All right, so this is where he's getting the boat right? And so this is one day. This is the same day as the parable of the soils, right? This is a new theme. Jesus showing his great power as the divine son of God, right? Over sin, over Satan, over death, over hell, for salvation, over transformation. The same theme from now to the end of the chapter. That's how we understand that this is the same theme. We're seeing that this is a, a, a way in which Luke is bringing us back to Jesus teaching all day long and now getting in a boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. This boat belongs to one of his disciples. And when you get to the word disciples, verse 22, you got to ask the question, who is he talking about? Because if you're following along in this series, you understand that not everybody who is called a disciple is a true what? Disciple, right? So who's here? Are these believers? Well, the answer is that these people are all over the spectrum. 
There are some people here who are probably already believers, some who are close and others who will probably still turn away, right? They're all over the spectrum. Undoubtedly, there's people here on this boat with him that asked about the truth of the parable of the soils, right? That said like, hey, Jesus, teach me what that meant. So they're seeking him. But there's more than 20,000 people in the crowds that are following Jesus at all time, right? And some disciples go with him and some disciples stay on the shore. Now you might think instantly when you see the disciples are with them that they are the apostles, right? That's like the common thought. Hey, the apostles are with him. Well, not all disciples are apostles. There's only a few of them, right? And not all apostles are, um, are, uh, are th- not only the apostles are with him. And so we see that there's 12 of them, but they are not, that's not all that's here because a boat like this is gonna probably carry 25 people. So all these disciples, the word here is learner or follower. They're not all true believers, but they're with Jesus on this boat. Now, let me tell you also why we know that, okay? Because in just a little while, stay with me, in just a little while, Jesus is gonna say some pretty harsh but intentional, intentional and loving things. He's gonna th- say things like this. Like, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy to be my disciple. He's gonna say that in just a little while, right? Showing that there are some who are gonna put their hand to the plow and then look back. And what he's saying with that is, if you start to follow me and then you stop following me, the kingdom is not yours. And so we know that there are gonna be still some who turn away. He's gonna say things like one person said, I wanna follow you, but I wanna bury my father and take the inheritance first. And he says, if you're going to, if you got something to do first before you follow me, the kingdom is not yours. Someone's gonna say also, hey, look, I wanna follow you. And he's gonna say, but foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests and the son of man has no place to lay his head, are you sure that you wanna follow me? And so there's gonna be plenty of times where he's telling people to make sure you count the cost before you follow me because there is no such thing as a minimalistic follower of Jesus. It just, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist, right? And so what he's saying here is that there are people who are gonna follow him, but he wants all of them to follow him. And so we know not all of these disciples are true disciples. And he said to them, verse 22, stay with me. He said to them, he requested it himself. He requested it himself, right? He said, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's go across to the other side of the lake. Now, what I want you guys to notice here is you know it's about to come because of the passage that we're reading, right? What's coming? A storm's coming. The reason why these disciples are about to be in a storm is because they obeyed what Jesus had said. Notice that. Not every reason, not every time that you experience um, trial, tragedy, or tribulation is it because of your disobedience. Sometimes it's because of your obedience. And Jesus is calling you into sanctification or into deeper faith. They were in this storm because of their decision to obey what Jesus had commanded them to do. And also understand and be encouraged. When you follow God, sometimes it's gonna be hard. 
Sometimes it's going to be like, man, I don't understand the scriptures. They're hard. I'm trying to follow them. Man, this sin in my life, I can't get rid of it. I can't change. I want to. Man, we're trying to do our marriage God's way, and it's hard. I'd rather just go back to kind of doing it like the world. I mean, listen, it's, it's going to be hard sometimes when we follow Jesus. But God is calling them into deeper faith. They're going to get into this mess because of their obedience to Jesus's call to go to the other side of the lake. It says, so they set out. Now they're together on the Sea of Galilee, on the boat from the northwest side to the eastern side, and they're going over to see the Gerasenes, right? As we're about to see in the next section where he's going to heal a demon-possessed person. That's why they're going over there, to see the Gerasenes. It's about six miles, right? And this is a a sea that Jesus is going to calm now. He's going to walk on water in a little while. He's got two miraculous catchings that are going to happen from the sea. But I want you to notice this. Listen, Jesus is doing multiple things here, right? And we understand God is doing 10,000 things in your lives, and you might be aware of one or two at every moment. He's doing a lot here. Listen, this is the same day as the parable of the soils. He's tired, so he's getting on the boat to get away from the crowds and to rest. He's also getting on the boat right now because there's a new theme that's starting and he is about to show everyone that he is the divine son of God and has the power over sin, over Satan, over death, over hell, for salvation and for your transformation. That's another reason why he's getting on the boat. He's also getting on the boat because he's got a divine appointment with a demon on the other side, right? And he's also getting on the boat because he wants to increase the faith of the disciples who are now about to witness who he really is as he stops the storm. He's got a lot going on here, and they are aware of pretty much none of it. And he's got great love for these disciples, for these people, and he's doing it all for a purpose. So they set off, they push off wherever you want, right? You tell us where to go, Jesus, and we will do it. They set out the end of verse 22. And what happens? Well, Start into verse 23, and let's go ha- uh, just a sentence into it. As they sailed, he fell asleep. All right, that's where we're at in this first point, okay? One day, he got into a boat with his disciples. He said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, what we know is that this is a sailboat because it says, as they what? All right, you got it. We know it's of some size. This is not a rowboat, okay? So this is probably 20, 25 people on this boat. Imagine this, ready? This is why all these details are important. We know it's the same day. Mark told us explicitly. At another point, you can look at Mark uh, chapter uh, four, and you can see this account. He says from the day of the parables on the same day. We already looked at it, but if you want to study it a little bit more right? Why is it important? Because he's tired, he's getting on the boat, and it also tells us that this is evening. Now imagine this. Imagine Jesus getting on this sailboat. It's evening. The stars, the moon, the water trickling. I mean, just picture this. This is the Son of God, right? Imagine the water trickling as the moon is set out, and everything's calm. Everything's calm, and Jesus is on the boat, What a picture of the Savior. That doesn't just make you smile thinking about him, right? And it says that he's asleep. Now, the Greek means that this is, he is sound asleep, okay? 
And this is the only place in scripture, that's why I'm taking you to, telling you to soak it in. This is the only place in scripture, the only account of the scene of Jesus being asleep. This scene in the gospels that we see this scene in, this story is the only account of Jesus being asleep, right? So picture this, the son of God, but also fully human. He's showing us his humanity. He's fully man, the son of man, asleep on the boat. Mark tells us he had a pillow. Now, this is a fisherman's boat. It probably smelled like fish with every breath, right, that he breathed in. But listen, he's asleep. This is the only time we see it. He's been teaching all day. And in our text from, chap- from verse four, chapter eight, verse four, all the way down to where we are, he's been teaching. That's why it's so important that we scour the text and understand that Mark says it's the same day because he's been teaching all day and this is evening. Now listen, let me just tell you from personal experience, like I never sleep harder than after I teach. Like if I teach on a Sunday morning twice and then maybe membership class for three hours in the afternoon and then eldership you know, time in the evening and then elder-led prayer that night, and I don't really teach, but I'm talking all day, um, I never sleep harder. Just this, the, and Jesus, this is his main task, teaching. But the spiritual, the physical, the trying to be faithful, the trying to, you know, your tone, have the consistency of love and yet the accuracy and the clarity of scripture and the affections and the thought and everything that comes into play about being faithful to the word of God. That's a big task, right? And so when Sunday afternoon comes, I never sleep harder. Like, you know, like I'm not a like sweater. I don't sweat a lot, sweater. I don't know if that's the right word. I don't, I don't, I don't sweat a lot. Right. But like when I sleep on a Sunday after I teach, like, I mean, it's like, you know, when like all the toxins are just coming out and you just, you're sweating, you feel it. Right. I mean, that's it. Like, that's what I feel. And I, I feel that to an extent of needing rest more than ever after I teach. I mean, think about what Jesus' life is right now. The teaching all the time, every day, from morning till night, the crowds of thousands of thousands of people. He's in a house and there's crowds outside and he knows it. At every waking moment in between all of this, he's got his disciples that he's investing in with, with explanations at every point and every turn the explanation for them for the parables or the times of teachings, the investments all the time, the crowds outside. And he also knew his task that was ahead to go to the cross. And he's fully human. Remember, he needed to be fully human in order for him to live a perfect life and die on our behalf. He needed to be human. And so he's here and he's tired, physically, spiritually drained. He's weary. He's exhausted. He's been around people all of the time. He's teaching and investing and discipling these people all of the time. And it's interesting to know that Jesus is omniscient. This storm is not gonna catch him off guard. He knows that a storm is coming and listen, he still goes to sleep. He is not anxious. He needs to make no preparations. He is not giving any warnings. He's not rolling up his sleeves and dictating or directing. He is asleep. Listen, Jesus is God. And at every point and every turn in all of humanity, in all of existence, everything will obey 
him. When he says to start and when he says to stop, he's asleep. He has no fear. He has no concern. At any moment, he could tell a sea, a raging wave, a wind to stop, and it will obey. This power already exists in him. Jesus is still because he's God and he's also human and he's asleep and he's calm and so is the lake. And this begins to show the power he possesses and also his humanity because his power is within him and he is not afraid. And yet at the same time, he is human and he is tired. And so this is the picture of Jesus asleep on the boat. Secondly, what we see in this passage is that the storm is stilled at Jesus's commands. First, what we see in this passage is that Jesus is still as he sleeps. Secondly, what we see in this passage is that the storm is stilled at Jesus's command. What we see now, we're in halfway through 23 and we're going through 24. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filled with water and they were in danger. And they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm, right? Windstorm, literally the storm word there in the Greek is the Greek word for hurricane. And this isn't like, oh, it's similar to a hurricane. Let's use that as a metaphor. This is a hurricane, they're in the eye of a hurricane. Did you know that? At this point, they're in the eye of a hurricane. And then he adds the word wind to modify hurricane. Like, can wind modify hurricane? Isn't that what a hurricane is? But to just show us how great a storm this is, this is a windy hurricane, okay? And it came down. It came down, it says, verse 23. This windstorm, it came down. We already know why it says that, right? We mentioned the valleys from the mountains upon the surface of the water. The wind is coming down these mountains upon the surface of the water. And these waves will probably be pushed as it hits the surface of the water about 10 feet or so, right? These are about 10-foot waves because of the wind. And this is a hurricane. Moments after, there was perfectly clear clear skies, perfectly clear skies, right? Now, if you go to this place, like I told you, a lot of people say this can't happen on this lake, 13 by eight, it's calm most of the day. And yet this indeed does happen because of the elements. And what happens here is that they begin to fill with water. Look at this. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and they were in danger. They were filling with water. In the NASB that we read in the beginning, it said that they were being what? Can you remember? Swamped, right? So hurricane and swamps. Like I feel pretty close to this situation right now, okay? We know a lot about it. In all seriousness, we do, right? Windstorm, hurricanes, okay? Think about this for a second. Just think. Who in the world can stop a hurricane? Like we listen to news reports for weeks and you can't do anything except sit and wait. And when it comes and the reports about it come, it's scary because you got no idea what to do until you learn about where that hurricane is going. But you can't stop it. You can't harness it. You can't redirect it. No one can. You can do a lot of things, but we can't harness the weather 
especially a hurricane. And Jesus is about to do that, no problem. They were in danger, it says. Look, verse 23, it says they were in danger. Now, Luke is telling us that they were in danger because guess what? They were literally in danger. This isn't metaphor. So much so that in a moment, they're about to say what? We're perishing. We're about to die. We're gonna die. Now, listen, these guys aren't dumb. Like they know they are, they are on the lake often. They are on the seas often. They are catching fish often. They know when that there is a storm in which this storm will kill people, right? Like this storm will kill anybody in its path. And we know it because we're familiar with storms that kill people. They're, they know what's happening here. We're about to die. And listen, as they go and as they sail and the windstorm is coming down on the lake, they're filling with water. They're swamping. The boat has got water in it and they're in danger. And verse 24 is interesting because they still had to go and wake up Jesus. He's still asleep. He was still and asleep before, and now he's still and asleep, and the storm has started, right? I told you, teaching wears you out, okay? Casey keeps asking me, how can you sleep through all the kids? And I, my common excuse is, I've been teaching, I've been teaching, I've been teaching, right? A hurricane of kids in my bed in the morning, and yet when I continue to sleep through it, my new excuse is, I've been teaching, okay? <laughs> And so they're in danger. They're in legitimate danger. This is not fake. And we know what happens, but they don't. And they say, we are about to die. Now, we again know in Louisiana, this wind is, we are unable to control it. Wind like a hurricane, they are in the eye of it, in the middle of it. And they are being swamped. This is shaking violently, a perfect calm to a hurricane storm. All the wind coming down from the mountains, the water being swept up from the lake. And they went and they woke him saying, and now listen, what we see is this nature of Jesus as a human from him sleeping. But we also see this nature of Jesus as God, perfectly at peace. And you know, one thing that God is really teaching me through this story is I spent a lot of time with it. Jesus is not disheveled at all. He is not distressed. He is not anxious. He is not ruffled in any way. He's not stirred anxiously by his people in desperation. Because at any time that he chooses, he could have, and he does have, divine authority over everything. And listen, just as a side note, if the nature of God is like this because of his own knowledge of his divine, divine power, I'm speaking to myself and speaking to you. What should it say about how our character, our character and our dispositions should be at all time, especially those of us who know God? Listen, God's character, he is never in a place of, frantis, uh, of franticism. He is never frantic. He is never disheveled. He is never ruffled. He is never anxious. He is always calm. He is always at peace. He always knows what's happening. He always can take care of everything. And listen, it is no excuse for us because if God's character is like that, then we should always be like that because we're called to imitate his character. He, no matter what's happening, he is always at peace because of his omnipotence, because of his great power, and because of his omniscience, his great knowing of anything, right? 
If the nature of God is like this because of his own knowledge of his own divine power, what should it say about our character who try to imitate him, but especially us who know God as we depend on him and trust him? There's a reason why the scripture tells us not to be anxious about anything and not to be afraid of anything. Those are absolute statements. They don't allow any, uh, any gap that we could be anxious about certain things or could be afraid about certain things. Listen, ready? For us who know God, we can take these absolute statements and we can look at the nature of God not being frantic. And it taught me, it taught me a lot as I read this because he's never like that because of his great power. And oftentimes what we say is, listen, we say, yeah, but you don't know my situation. You don't know my situation. You don't know the situation I'm in. You don't know how things have gone for me. I have a right to be frantic. I have a right to be anxious. I have a right to be stirred. I have a right to be afraid, right? And so I would say back to you with love, so your situation is the one situation beyond the omnipotent control of God. It's not. God is always in control and he's never stirred. He's never frantic because of his divine power over everything at any moment. And so we who know him should have the same disposition, no excuses, and we should trust in him knowing his capabilities. We see that he is asleep before the storm and he's still sleeping. And they say to him, look at this, verse 24, master, master, right? Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all use different words, right? They use commander, leader, and teacher. Now, they're all different. They all repeat them over and over again. Commander or leader, they use Lord and they use teacher, all the same story, and we see this. And it's not a discrepancy. It's just they're all being used. This is not a time that's like specifically like you should say this or you should say that, right? Like they're all just, there's probably plenty of more that's being screamed out um, and calling Jesus what they need in order for him to provide for them at this moment. But they're commanding him, they're calling him commander or leader, Lord and teacher, which Honestly, supplementing all these things together, that's the three things that Luke wanted us to see about what they're calling him, which is he's their commander, he's their leader, he's their Lord, he resides over them and rules over them. He is also their teacher. He is teaching them the truth about everything, especially about who he is. That's what they're saying to him, commander or Lord or teacher, three times over, repeatedly. And this is on purpose. And they say, listen, ready? We are perishing, right? We're going to die. They're not uninformed because they know about this sea. They know what it does to people. They know what kind of storm will kill a person. But they also say we are perishing because they know from what they've seen about Jesus and him healing and raising from the dead that he is the only one, if they have hope, that they are going to see any type of saving happen from. And listen, Jesus, as he's sitting there, he knows the number of molecules in every drop of the water that's in this. He's not frantic, right? But they're waking him up. Verse 24, here's what it says. Ready? Follow. And they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And then he awoke, literally aroused or awakened. And this storm was meant to make them depend on him. He created the storm. This is a real storm though, meant to show his divine power causing them to go deeper in faith, right? And what does he do? Ready? He rebukes the wind 
and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Mark tells us what he says. If you look at his account, Jesus here tells us he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Mark tells us that he says, peace, be still. Literally, he says to the waves, shh. Literally, that's what he says. Two sentences. First sentence, shh. Second sentence, be still. That's what he's saying to the waves. Shh, be still. That's what he said to the waves. And the waves and the wind, they obey the voice of their creator, the divine son of God, and they cease. There was a danger. There was a real danger. This was a hurricane, unstoppable by any human being. And as Jesus says, shh, be still, they flatline. No residual effects, right? No residual effects at all. This is a flatline, silent, still, calm, immediacy. This storm stops and so do all of the waves and everything else to do with the wind and everything is immediately calm. Jesus showing his great might, showing his great strength by stilling the storm immediately. Right? This is God. This is divine power. This is power over the earth. The Jews believed that sea could only be controlled by Yahweh, by the divine, holy God. As we see in Psalm 106.9, okay? Psalm 106.9. I don't know if Michelle can find it there for you. She's the best. Keep going. Next one. Not, not Psalm 107. Psalm 106. Um, it's a couple, couple. Keep going, Michelle. Sorry, Psalm 106.9. He rebuked the Red Sea, remember this? And it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. Only God. He cleared the Red Sea, and now Jesus is also clearing what? This Sea of Galilee. And so what we see is Jesus, the divine one, only has this power. The first thing that we see in the passage is Jesus is still before the storm. He is still as he rests. Second thing that we see is Jesus stills the storm as he commands it. It does exactly what he says. And number three, what we see in our passage is that the disciples are still as they, as they ponder all that Jesus is. This is the main point of the section, and it's easy to understand and yet profound for its implications. Number three, the disciples are still as they ponder all that Jesus is. Let's read it, verse 25. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this, that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? Now, what Jesus is showing here, what Luke is showing us here, listen, is the main point of this whole text, okay? Is that Jesus is God. The Messiah, the anointed one, the fulfillment of the prophecies, the covenant, the affirmation of the testimonies, the authority to forgive, the power in his teaching and his miracles, his perfect life, redemption of his people, the power of the cross coming again to redeem all of creation. This is Jesus Christ, the son of God who has got power over this creation. And he is the one who has power to save our souls. This is the same one. Now listen, this only happens to the one who is the king and who has rule over all of these elements. Verse 25, he says to them, where is your faith? Meaning this, you've seen and heard so much from me. Why in the world are you guys still afraid? 
Why are you still afraid? Don't you know who I am? Haven't you seen what I can do? Don't you know that I can be trusted? I have infinite power over all things. I command and have knowledge of everything. And it's not even close. Like there's no second place that's even close to my power. And I just tell you for a second, Christians in the room, if you would believe in God's great power like this, and you would follow and you would trust in him, listen, you would have great, great lives that make great differences for the world and for Christ. If you would display a trust in Jesus because of his great power and take great risks because of knowing who he is, God would use you in great ways, right? We see that they can trust him and that they should have trusted him. And as we go on, listen, ready? Let me just tell you, this is also not a strength of your faith message, right? Like if they had more faith, the storm wouldn't have started or something like that. Run away from any teacher who talks like that, okay? That's dangerous because God brings storms into our lives on purpose to sanctify us, to grow us, and to make us depend on him. This came because they obeyed God, not because they ran away from him. But there's, he's increasing their faith through this, right? The disciples, though, should have trusted in who he is, who he was, what he's doing, his great power, okay? And so here's what he says. You should have faith in me. In verse 25, keep going at the end. They all marveled and they said to one another, this is it, ready? Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they do what? Obey him. This is the question. This is the whole point of the section. Who is this man? Who is this that even the winds and the waters obey what he says? And they marveled and they follow and they're afraid. Just like every other section that we saw in the beginning of this message, that when you witness the power of God, what's the response? You're unworthy. You see your own sinfulness. You're terrified. It's threatening because of who he is in comparison to you. Now, note about also, this is why we conduct our services when you see the, the line up, up top of our screens is because this is the way the gospel works. We see God in his holiness. We then see ourselves rightly in our own sinfulness as we compare ourselves to God and not to everyone else. And therefore, when we're aware of our own sinfulness, then God directs our attention to Christ who died and paid the price for our sin that we might be reconciled with God. We then hear God's word to us as he calls us into himself and then puts us on mission. And then we respond to his word in obedience and faith. That's also the picture that we see in Isaiah chapter six. And that's the same picture, same theme of the gospel. It's intentional. He sees the Lord. He sees himself. Then He's touched on his lips. His sins are taken away, right? As we see that in comparison, parallel with Christ. And then God speaks his words to him. Who will go for me, right? And who will go for us? And then Isaiah responds to God's word and says, here am I, send me. It's the same picture. It's the same theme throughout all the scriptures, the gospel, Isaiah chapter six, and also this model here. Once he sees God, they see him themselves, they're afraid. Once they see God, they see themselves, they're afraid. And they respond to say, who is this? It can't be anyone else but God. Now, let me show you 
Lastly, as we close this out, this is not just power in general, okay? This is not just power in general. But we know from Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, that from the sin coming into the world, we also know that there was a curse, not only in the people of God who then became all sinful, but also in the planet of God, the earth. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that God spoke to them and to Adam and said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, and thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And so as Jesus has come onto this earth, listen close as we close, Jesus has come into this world that is cursed by sin, right? Because of sin, there is a curse on the earth. And as Jesus has come, he has not only come to redeem his people, but he's also come to redeem his earth. And so as Jesus comes, he is showing that he has the power to forgive sin as he comes the first time, as he defeats Satan and death, and sin and the curse, but as he comes the second time, he will come and redeem the entire world, all of nature, all of creation. And so as God brings everything back to himself, he redeems also the world. And so as Jesus comes into the earth, what we see is Revelation 21.5 will tell us at the end that he who is seated on the throne says what? Behold, I am making all things what? New. And so listen, Jesus has come to redeem his people. He's also come to redeem his earth. And the only one who has the power to do that is him, the son of God. Where peace is gonna reign, joy is gonna reign. He's gonna bring animals together that should not coexist, right? And he, from this picture, has the power necessary to do so. How do we know? Well, as he's come to this world that is full of sin, not only is he redeeming the people who are now starting to follow him, but he's also capable of commanding the seas that are under the curse, right? There is no curse, no sin, no death, not even Satan himself who is now the ruler of this world that can prevent him from commanding and even creation obeying him. And so therefore, what we understand is he is the only one who has the power to save us. He is human, but he is omnipotent, and he is redeeming everything, and because of that, he is God. We see that. So let me close this out by telling you this. If Jesus has the power over this curse to redeem everything, redeem the world, and redeem you, let me tell you that he has the power to save you. If you would trust in his work on the cross and his perfect life that accomplishes it and his death and his resurrection, he has the power to free you from the penalty of your sin, which is to be eternally separated from him. At the same time, for you, Christian, he's got the power to change you. As he commands the winds and the waves, this same spirit that lives in Jesus now lives in you if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, right? And this power over sin and Satan and death, you know, for your salvation and in your transformation, he desires to change your life. And so what I wanna just encourage you with as, you, as we close this is this, is look to him through the common means. What are the common means? His word, prayer, fellowship, his spirit, right? 
And as you are consistent in those common means, the Holy Spirit, the power of God through Jesus Christ, has the power to change you and redeem your life in all areas. And he is displaying that through this calming of the storm. He's got power over sin. He's got power over Satan. He's got power over death. And he's got power to transform your life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Just ask that you would use this effort, this small effort in this word to change us, to help us see your greatness, your power, your omnipotence, and that you call us from death to life. You have the power to save us, and you've got the power to transform us. We see that it's not only a general power over wind and waves, but it's a power over the sin and the curse and of Satan and of death, and of hell. That you are beckoning a people, calling a people to yourself to save them, and you have the power to do so through your sacrifice on the cross. And we who are believers already, you have the power to change us, to transform us by your same spirit that now lives inside of us. And I pray, God, that we would look to you as you do this great work in our lives through the common means of your word and prayer and fellowship with other believers in your spirit. And that through these common means, we would see the power to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.